This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, See, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very centre of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile, away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, earn your bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. The reading is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and for this reason, these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah, and others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I had beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men to arrest John, bound him and put him in prison, on account of Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him, and wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it you. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the Baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, 
brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When she, when the disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. When King Herod hears of Jesus' ministry, it's as if all his worst nightmares have come at once. He's convinced that John the Baptist, that inconvenient truth-teller, is back, raised from death, a death for which Herod was responsible. Suddenly he feels as if his life is unravelling before his eyes. Herod's problem was like that of most dictators. He had too much power for his own good, far more than he could handle, and yet he didn't have the absolute power he thought he really needed. Herod had the power to imprison John and to have him killed for daring to challenge his incestuous marriage to Herodias. But killing the man didn't kill the message. That was the power he longed for. Not only was John's call to repentance still out there, being preached to the crowds by Jesus, it was also still inside Herod's head. He couldn't forget what John had said to him, however hard he tried. And that's what really troubles him when he hears of another teacher and miracle worker who seemed eerily similar to John. Later on in the Gospels, we hear of Herod plotting against Jesus and colluding in the decision to have him executed. Herod was desperate to take control of that situation too, desperate to silence this challenging, disturbing message. But mighty as he was, that was something he couldn't do, because John and Jesus had the power of truth behind them, the power of God, and that in the end can't be resisted. A few weeks ago, Philip and I were on one of our regular day-off Tuesday walks when we came across the Church of St Mary the Virgin Westwell near Ashford. It's a lovely old church built in the mid-13th century and clearly much loved. But the first thing you notice when you walk in is that all the pillars down the south aisle are leaning outwards at an alarming angle. It's very disconcerting. It made me feel slightly seasick. And it's obviously been like that for a very long time because there are ancient-looking buttresses inside and outside the church plainly added at different periods to try and shore the building up. It's still standing, but I'm sure the, the church wardens see those wonky columns in their nightmares. I'm no surveyor or builder, so who am I to know? But my best guess is that this 800-year-old problem was there right from the outset. A small miscalculation, dodgy foundations, a bit of shoddy workmanship, a poor choice of materials, a false economy. I'm eternally grateful that whoever built our church around the same time didn't employ the same builders. It might not have seemed important at the time, of course, but 800 plus years on, the problem is all too evident. The truth will out. There's nothing hidden that won't someday, somehow, be made known. And I can just imagine the moment, maybe not too long after the church was built, 
when someone said to the church wardens, those pillars there, do they look straight to you? Maybe at that point someone went and got a plumb line to check it out. When the prophet Amos in our Old Testament reading saw a vision of God standing with a plumb line in his hand, he knew what it meant. A plumb line, a simple lead weight on the end of a string, was one of the most basic building tools in the ancient world, and they're still used today. Screwfix will sell you one for under a fiver. It tells you whether you're building straight or not. It alerts you to the problems early, if, there was, if there's something wrong with the foundations. Amos knew that the leaders of Israel hadn't been building the nation straight and true. They'd been lining their own pockets, bolstering their own power by making dodgy deals with the nations around them, and it was starting to show. But just like Herod five centuries or so later, they didn't want to know about it. Go and prophesy somewhere else, was the message to Amos. Not long afterwards, though, the Assyrians came and swept Israel away, deporting its people across their empire. The nation fell, but the prophecy endured, and it still speaks to us today. Pay attention, it says, especially to the things you'd rather not pay attention to, the things that feel uncomfortable, challenging, difficult. When Herod heard that Jesus, who'd been baptised by John, was healing and performing miracles, he knew that the truths he'd wanted to ignore were coming back to bite him. Herod's tragedy was that it didn't have to be so. He could have changed. He could have heeded John's message. But he was so anxious to cling to the life that he had that he didn't dare to believe that any other life, a life lived honestly and lovingly, could be worth living. He'd always been a devious manipulator and he wasn't prepared to try living or ruling any other way. He lost his power in the end for all his cunning, though. He ended his life in Gaul, banished by the mad Emperor Caligula, when he rashly asked to be given the title of King of the Jews, egged on once again by Herodias. Herod overreached himself once too often in his desire to have absolute control of his world, and it all came crashing down around him. But it didn't need to be so. He had a choice, as we all do. He just didn't have the courage to take it. And very often, I suspect, neither do we. So where do we find that courage when we're faced with difficult decisions, when we're afraid to get out the moral plumb line and hold it up against our own lives or the world around us? Perhaps, oddly, Herod's words, the words I began with, might give us a clue. John, whom I beheaded, has been raised, says Herod. Of course, that wasn't what had happened, but resurrection, nonetheless, is the key to this story. John may not have been raised, but Jesus, whose death Herod also eventually connived in, would be. That was the proof for the early Christians by and for whom this gospel story was written, that however many people were killed, God's life and God's goodness couldn't be snuffed out. They lived in the light of that resurrection, and they saw it at work in themselves and in one another too. St Paul let go of his hatred and prejudice and discovered the transforming power of love. 
St. Peter let go of his self-aggrandizement and machismo and discovered that Jesus still loved him, that God still called him, even after he denied knowing Jesus and run away in terror. People who looked like hopeless cases with no chance of redemption found that they could be and do things they'd never imagined. Every week we begin our worship with confession, a moment when we ask God to hold his plumb line alongside our lives and show us what he sees. Sometimes people think it's rather downbeat, depressing way to start the liturgy, that we're just dragging ourselves down and beating ourselves up. But actually the opposite is true. It is, or it should be, a moment of pure joy. Because it's only when we can see and say what has gone awry that God's resurrection power can begin to open up a new way for us, a way that leads to life, hope, healing, reconciliation. Only then can God rebuild us on foundations that are firm and true. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things as pass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love toward you, that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.